Welcome to the Let's Think About That podcast, where we don't just react. We'll break it down and think about it. We're going to talk news, the law, sports, whatever we're thinking about. We're your host, Ed Yeager and Lee Allen. Lee, how are you? I'm doing well, Ed. I hope you are. I am well, thank you. You know, it's just a week ago that we were talking about this horrible crime in Uvalde, Mexico. And I I don't want to say it's a tragedy because it's a crime. The gun didn't go shoot a bunch of people. Somebody had the gun and, and went and committed a crime. Uh, and it seems like within a week, Democrats, Biden in particular, are already overstepping about it. Just the other day, now Biden has already talked about banning assault weapons. Now he's talking about banning non-millimeter ammunition. I'm sure you've heard this, but listen to what he said here. A 22 caliber bullet will lodge in the lung. A 9-millimeter bullet blows the lung out of the body. So the idea of these high-caliber weapons is of... There's simply no rational basis for it in terms of what about self-protection, hunting. The Constitution, the Second Amendment, is never absolute. He considers that high-caliber ammunition. What do you think about that? Well, <clears throat> the man clearly knows nothing about firearms. I mean, the knock on nine millimeter was always that it was it was it was a weak round, and with the um, I guess the technological advances with regard to gunpowder and and so forth, the nine millimeter round has become more powerful and it has taken over as the, the main or the, the largest in terms of volume uh, caliber handgun for, uh, for home defense. So, you know, Joe's just, he's just lost it or never had it or something. I mean, he's out to lunch. He doesn't understand firearms. There are, what, 400 million guns or something in this country, a good portion of which are nine millimeter semi-automatic handguns. You know, he's not going to do anything. He and Beto are not going to do anything about them, despite what they say. And I don't think the American people uh, are in favor of gun confiscation, even if they could amend the Constitution to do it. Just bizarre. Yeah, he doesn't know anything about guns. And, you know, it was only a few years ago that he said what you needed was a shotgun for home defense. And if you heard something, just fire a couple of rounds off into the yard. Uh, that made a lot of sense. Right. Uh, but, you know, you mentioned the f- 400 millions, the, the number you threw out of, of about guns, uh, because I heard something today that that kind of challenged an aspect of that. So I went to try to find the answer for the percentage of homes or the percentage of uh, gun owners uh, in America. And this is what I found on Gallup's website. Gallup, not a conservative organization. It used to be really well known for public polling. And this is something they've looked at over the years. The last information that they had was in 2021. Yeah, so they looked at this going back to 1959, and in 2021, they looked at the percentage of homes that had a gun in them. In Octo- this is from October 1st, uh, 2021 survey, 42% of homes responded, yes, they had a, a gun in the home. 42% of homes said they had a gun there. Uh, the earliest they'd asked this question was in the July time period of 1959. At that point, 49% responded affirmatively. So it was a difference between 49% and 42%, not a huge difference there. Uh, while people claim that, you know, there may, may be more guns than ever, our population has grown and more people have the resources to probably buy a second firearm or 
you know, they're collectors or whatever, but still it's pretty close to the same percentage of the population as in 1959 that owned guns. Yeah. And I would assume that the big cities that are run by corrupt Democrats and have outlawed firearms hadn't done that in 1959. So you, you look at New York, Chicago, L.A. I don't know exactly what the laws are there, but certainly New York firearms are, for all intents and purposes, banned, uh, particularly handguns. Um, so if you had an ability to own legally there, I think you'd probably be much closer to that 49 percent in terms of the percentage of households. But the White House doesn't seem to care about it. There was a press conference this week and someone asked about the president's position on hardening schools. And his press secretary basically said that's not his position. And uh, when it comes to uh, when it comes to schools, and and I don't know what he said specifically about about schools. I know there's been uh, conversation about hardening schools. That is not something that he believes in. He believes that we should be able to to give uh, teachers the resources to be able to do the job uh, that they're meant to do at schools. Well, let's paraphrase her. He doesn't believe in locks. Right, and and because. Dead school children are politically uh, positive uh, for the status on the left. Um, I mean, you know, let's just call it like it is. Um, for Beto, and I think we talked a little bit about him last week, and now the, the president and others to so quickly politicize, you know, this this uh, this crime and these dead children, uh, the victims. Uh, is is really beyond the pale. And if you look back, uh, Reagan didn't do that. Um, I don't recall with regard to Columbine that President Clinton did that, at least not so quickly. Um, it's bad. And I, you know, I, I think I think we have a lot to learn about what really went on in Uvalde, if we ever do learn. Yeah, the facts have changed a lot of, since then. Yeah, there are a lot of unanswered questions. Um, you know, I was shocked to see that yesterday the chief of the local school district police, who was the on-scene commander and ordered the officers not to go in and, and breach the classroom where the shooter was, apparently some two or three weeks prior to that had been elected to the Uvalde City Council. He was sworn in yesterday in secret, probably violated a Texas open meeting law, but but I haven't seen that determinatively um, uh, confirmed. Local sheriff's department and the school police department are no longer cooperating with the uh, state investigation by the Texas Rangers or the federal investigation by the Department of Justice. And we keep coming back, and, and I know you've seen it too, this kid, high school dropout, supposedly destitute, no, you know, uh, he had a fast food job. Nothing wrong with that. I'm a fast food alumni uh, or alumnus. But, uh, you know, he certainly didn't was not a person of means at such that he ought to have had good credit. And he bought something like somewhere between five and ten thousand dollars worth of equipment, you know, rifles, optics, a lot of ammunition, as we discussed last, uh, last week, body armor. Uh, where did the money come from? That's a very good question. Why was he not injured in the car crash? Why was he out on the lawn shooting for some, I think I read 12 minutes. Um, you know, we heard lat and nobody did anything. Um, 
last week we we heard about the school teacher leaving the door open, but today the news was full of stories saying the teacher, when he or she, and I still don't know which uh, which it was, but the teacher went back when whenever he or she learned that there was this guy on the school property or close by with a gun shooting and closed the door. It just didn't lock. And why did that door not lock? Yeah. Um, and then, you know, the, 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 why again, why did, why was, why were the cops, law enforcement officers, whatever you want to call them, why were they ordered not to breach with all these phone calls from these children saying, you know, here's what's going on. They could hear the gunshots, uh, for, you know, almost an hour. Um, I read today that there was a, some sort of surveillance aircraft flying over, uh, the school at the time. Um, allegedly from Fort Hood, Texas, um, you know, why was that there and what did it show? Uh, you know, videotape, whatever they had. I, it's just, and, and I'm, I don't want to feed into conspiracy theory. I mean, I like to joke, we've, we've joked around about conspiracy theories before, but that, and this is not a joking matter, but you know, it'd be interesting to see what the, what, what, if anything, that aircraft, if it was there and if it was a surveillance aircraft, what it got on videotape, um, and and we need to get to the bottom of these these issues and you know where did the where did the money and the credit come from for this kid to get this? I agree with all those questions and, and I think and I'm sure you do too that this is a horrible crime and is you know we absolutely should do something to prevent criminals from getting guns and using them illegally. Uh, although we have numerous laws right. that are already in place, often which are not being enforced, uh, and that might be one place right. the Justice Department could start. Uh, the last number I saw was that there were in the in, in the order of tens of thousands of attempts to purchase firearms illegally uh, through FFLs every year. And there are only a handful of prosecutions brought by the, the Department of Justice. Right. And, and as we talked last week, uh, Hunter Biden was not one of those prosecutions, even though he committed perjury by by lying on his application. I think you're you're right. I mean, the federal government could provide funds to harden schools. Um but as you said, the press secretary said that uh, the president is, isn't interested in that. Um, you know, re- there's a quote from Ronald Reagan back when he was president or maybe even when he was governor of California, where he said, you know, laws are not going to keep guns. I mean, gun control laws are not going to keep guns out of the hands of criminals. The way you do that is to prosecute them when they break the law and throw away the key or at least keep it away from them for a very long time. And you start putting folks in jail for a good period of time, and and the gun problem in this country will will um, will be mitigated to a, to a large extent. But you're never going to um, prevent criminals in a free country. But even in a in a uh, you know a, a despotic regime, I don't know that you're going to keep criminals from committing crimes. Uh, you know, it's the fallen fallen. Um, human nature or whatever you want to call it. But, um, you know, people are, some people are just evil. I agree with you on that. And I don't know, you threw out probably 10 questions there. They're probably, if we sat here, we could probably come up with a hundred more. And I'm sure, I'm sure at some point there'll be some report that comes out, which gives some more information about this. So we'll look forward to that and discuss it when it happens. It's just so sad. I mean, that we're going through these funerals. I think the first one was yesterday. And, you know, I just I don't understand how these parents and families deal with this. It's, it's really, really bad. Agreed. 
The other big story this week was the trial of Michael Sussman, which we have talked about, uh, well, for weeks, even before it started. And I think that you brought up, you know, concerns about a D.C. jury uh, even before the case started. And then as it went along, we heard about, you know, multiple jurors who had been uh, contributors to Hillary's campaign, uh, other things that made it questionable. Well, they came back with a not guilty this week. Yeah. And uh, one of the jurors was quoted as, quoted as saying that it basically did not rise to a level sufficient for them to have spent time on it. Uh, that's a paraphrase, but that's that's what was said. I, I think it is. Um, I, I guess I have several comments, and I, I'll be interested to get your thoughts. First, I, I think it's indicative of the fact that there are, um, unfortunately, if there are not two systems of justice in this country, there are certainly two paths within the justice system, one for liberals and one for conservatives. Um, if you burn and loot and shoot and, and so forth, you're not prosecuted. If you walk into the Capitol at the um, sort of the implied invitation of Capitol police officers holding the door for you, you're thrown in jail for going on 18 months. Um, you know, that's just unforgivable. Uh, this guy, Sussman, you know, he clearly lied to the FBI when he told them he was there as a private citizen and not on behalf of a client or a cause. He billed his time for that meeting to the Hillary Clinton campaign. Uh, and he lied. Um, I, I thought the interesting thing that I read, or the most interesting thing that I read about uh, the, the verdict and the fallout was that Durham, uh, you know, his theory in the case, and, and I guess it would have to be in terms of matching the elements of that crime was that the FBI is in a sense, the victim in that they, they, they believed the lie. And I think it's apparent that the FBI knew it was a lie uh, and were eager to get it. Um, and, and, you know, so you could make an argument, I think from a technical standpoint that maybe he should have been found not guilty of lying to the FBI because they knew it was a lie. Um, it, it, and the reason that you can make an argument of not guilty in that sense, and I'm not saying I support that, but I'm just you know explaining what the reason would be is that under uh, 10 U.S.C. 1001, it's an element of that offense which the prosecution has to prove that the lie to a federal or to an executive branch official was material. Right. And so I think part of the defense was, well, it wasn't material because the FBI knew he was lying anyway, and they were going to conduct this investigation. Right. And, and material meaning it, it mattered. You know, if, if you go in there and you say, I'm, I'm, I'm not Michael Sussman, I'm Godzilla, and, and here's what I want you to know. I mean, that's not a crime because no one believes it. It doesn't matter. The question is, you know, what's in the report or, so, or something. Tortured logic to get yeah. there. Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, it, it's apparent that Hillary was involved. I think uh, Robbie Mook's testimony, um, as we talked last week, um, sort of made that obvious. Uh, I, I don't know what Durham plans to do going forward. I think in some ways that's to his credit that he has not suffered the leaks as part of his investigation that we saw, even going back to Watergate, certainly not like we saw in Whitewater uh, or the Lewinsky scandal or, 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 or the Trump-Russia uh, uh, hoax. Um, 
you know, it, it's uh, so who knows what's going to happen. I, I, I think um, Robert Mueller has been completely not if, if he wasn't discredited by the report uh, on the Russia collusion, he certainly has been discredited by the uh, Durham investigation that found things like that. And he did not. And I don't know whether that was by design. I kind of think it probably was or whether as we um, you know, saw and heard when his report was released, perhaps um, Robert Mueller is, is not, um, is not what he once was from an, from a, an intellectual standpoint, but given all of the firepower that he had in terms of assistance and, and lawyers working for him, I don't think that excuse really gets us very far. No, I don't think so either. You know, I have to wonder if the testimony of, of Mook, who was uh, Robbie Mook, who was one of the, I don't know if it was his campaign director or what he was. He was something on the Clinton campaign. Yeah, he was. He was the director. He was a campaign manager. You know, campaign manager. So, you know, I have to wonder if that didn't hurt Durham, even though it exposed some truth about uh, Hillary Clinton and how sleazy the Clintons are. But I just I wonder if that didn't make it too political and give some of those jurors an opportunity to say, oh, this is just political. And they went down that um well, I, I think you're onto something there because I, I think what it did was it let the jurors know, you know, it was a <clears throat> a dog whistle, a, a sign to them that Hillary Clinton wanted this to happen. And since we know some of them were Hillary supporters, um, it, it allowed them to to make it political um, and, and say that uh, you know this is this is just uh, this is just politics, and of course. It would have been just politics if Sussman doesn't take it to the FBI. Absolutely. Yeah. It'd still be wrong, but it's not illegal. But the fact right. is that he, he lied exactly. to the FBI. You know, the other part of that, just to bring it back to where you started with this juror who has spoken out that they thought there were bigger issues that this didn't deserve to be brought to trial is, you know, typically the process of selecting jurors, var dyers, attorneys will call it includes asking questions if they can follow the law. And, and you have to wonder what questions were asked of this juror, what their answers were, and how basically they now can say, well, you know, it doesn't really matter about the evidence. We thought there were more important cases that could have been brought. That's not what the law says. That's not the basis for jurors making a decision. Uh, that's not something jurors should even think about. Um, so, so you wonder... Uh, I mean, it'd be interesting to see if there's a transcript of the jury selection. Um, the other thing I saw this afternoon on the Internet, and I did not have a chance to um, pursue it, and I don't know whether it's true, and I wonder if you saw it, was that the FBI actually had a workspace at the Perkins Coy law firm um, at the time that it was pursuing all of this. I have not heard that story. That would be uh, surprising. Um, yeah. Hmm, interesting. It'd be offensive. I, I guess the next step in, in Durham's investigation is he's got an indictment against this, uh, I guess he's a Russian national who was involved in some of it. And, and that trial is scheduled for sometime later this summer at this point. It could, could get moved, but that's still scheduled for, to, to go forward. Be interesting to follow and see what happens. Yeah, well, we now, you know, we've been talking also about, um, you know, election results as they come in. Apparently, Pennsylvania is still not resolved. Uh, not only is the recount not completed, but the Supreme Court intervened this week and Justice Alito 
put on hold counting mail-in ballots without a date on them. I don't know. There's a lot that, that I can say about that other than this issue about mail-in ballots and how we count votes, which uh, Democrats brought up in 2020 in order to justify changing the rules in a number of states, including Pennsylvania, continues to haunt us. And it should not be this difficult to know who votes and to count those votes uh, after we've been doing it for over 200 years. Yeah, I agree with you. And and the interesting piece of the Pennsylvania Supreme Court challenge is that apparently there's a Pennsylvania statute that says that their date um, must be on the outside of the envelope in which the ballot is mailed. And there were a number that were not. And the Democrats and the McCormick, I think that's his name, um, campaign say, well, it really doesn't matter. It, that's, I mean, that's not a big deal. Who cares? Well, I, I mean, I understand, but the statute is very clear. They got to be dated. And, you know, it, it's it's not the court's uh, place, if you will, to, to, to overlook that requirement from the statute. You know, if the legislature doesn't like it, let them change it. A similar issue was raised in 2020 because the state law did not allow universal mail-in ballots and then allowing them to be received for, you know, days after the election. The state board of elections there changed that. And then the Supreme Court did not intervene in that case. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, we talked about that at the time. And, you know, I think we even speculated as to why the Supreme Court may not have intervened because it would have... Um, it would have caused a firestorm. Um, it, it potentially overturns the election. Um, you know, I'd like to think that the court doesn't worry about firestorms uh, and does what it thinks is right constitutionally. But, um, you know, I, I wonder if, if they didn't in that case. And, you know, this notion of universal mail-in ballots is offensive. Um, the, the Carter Center and, and the Department of Justice and the State Department have been all over that in terms of telling other countries that it is a, 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 a an invitation for voter fraud. Um, but now we allow it as of 2020 in this country. Um, and then this notion of election day, but votes that are mailed in can continue to be counted for some period of time after. Uh, that, too, is just, I mean, it, it's contrary to common sense. We need to get back, frankly, in my opinion, to voting on Election Day. Uh, if, if you have certain um, sort of um, specified excuse for not being able to get to the polls on Election Day, uh, then uh, 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 an absentee ballot with all of the requirements, uh, you know, that's got to be signed and witnessed or notarized or whatever, uh, and mailed in and received prior to election day. And then on election day, we vote with paper ballot, um, you know, on a pen or a pencil, and they're counted that day. And then a winner is, is, is announced as soon as the count is over. You know, if it's midnight, three o'clock in the morning, whatever. Um, and until we do that, we're not serious about elections in this country. Well, it's an interesting twist to, to require the pen or pencil, uh, but otherwise, I totally agree with you. I, I think an election should be about most people having the same information on the same day in which they make a decision. 
Right. I, I would also say that this idea of early voting for two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, or over a month in some places before the election, one, it goes against that idea because they don't necessarily have the same information. Remember, sorry, but remember last year, the stuff about Cal Cunningham didn't come out until after early voting had already started. And the question was, in a lot of you know observers' minds, is how many wonder how many people voted for him who, had they known, would not have voted for him? And thus, was that going to make a difference? And of course, we don't know the answer to that. But you know, what if it were something perhaps more serious or less salacious? You know, uh, those kinds of things. It's 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 just uh, it's 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 open season. Yeah, and as we discussed at the time, it could go either way, for or against him. People who may think the allegations are false or they're ginned up political, uh, you know, contrivances. But you know, still, people would have the information before they made a decision. But I also think that people voting on election day might lesser this hyper partisanship that we have in this country because then it, both sides would be discouraged from going out and you know finding the votes, ballot harvesting, and driving people to the polls and all of that. Uh, people might take a more balanced approach. Yeah. And, and you know, I think that th- this notion that we need to make it so easy for people to vote. Well, I mean, do we, you know, voting is a, is a, is a right. And, and, you know, we, we, particularly the liberal news media in this country, they want everybody to vote. Well, that only happens in, in, in dictatorships. In North Korea or somewhere. Right. Else. Cuba, uh, Iraq. You know, not voting is um, an expression of something, and that something is obviously freedom. I mean, you don't have to vote, but it could be you don't care. It could be that you are fed up with both sides, uh, and and people have the right not to do that. And if you don't have an ability to get to the polls on election day. And it's not because you're in the hospital or infirm or out of town. Well, then that, you know, you don't care enough about voting and and too bad. Well, and it's okay to me if people who don't care that much don't get that because we don't make it too easy for them. Yeah, exactly. We need to address in in all 50 states uh, these issues. And then I think there needs to be a federal prohibition against ballot harvesting. I agree. So we'll see what happens in Pennsylvania. Well, what's on your radar for the next week, Lee? Uvalde interests me a great deal. I think uh, inflation, um, the Treasury Secretary's comments that were publicized today, I think she may have made them yesterday about her her being uh, incorrect about um, the uh, significance or the the tenure or, or, or the time limit on inflation, not sure exactly what she was referring to, but she said she was wrong uh, when she minimized it several months ago. I, I guess on the one hand, I applaud her for, for, for owning it. Um, but, but I don't think it's going away anytime soon, despite the president's protestations this week that it, he was laser focused on it and, 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 it, and was going to do a lot to stop it. I mean, even if he did at this point, it, just, it takes a while. Um, summer driver, driving season as we talked. Gas prices made another hit another record high today. Um, there was a news report, I think it was on Fox this morning, um, a service station, uh, 
convenience store or whatever uh, right outside of uh, Hollywood and gas prices are, are 805 for regular per gallon. I saw that. I saw that. That is uh, amazing. Um, I don't know what people are going to do. Um, I mean, it's bad enough if it's three and four dollars. You know, people are having to make decisions on where where that money is going to come from because they have to get to work, to the doctor, the grocery store, get the kids to school. Maybe school's going to let out here everywhere pretty soon, but still, you know, they have obligations. When they were interviewing this guy who spent $150 or so to fill up his car with gas, and they were asking him if he had considered not traveling or anything, but he was there on vacation. And he had been there, and gas prices kept going up. He's like, I got to buy gas to get back uh, home with my family. Right. Doesn't have any choice. And on the piece about the Secretary of Treasury, you know, accepting some responsibility, uh, you know, she may accept responsibility for her advice, but hers wasn't the only voice that this White House should have been hearing because lots of so-called experts, including Democrat experts, have been saying, you're dumping all this money into the economy. It's going to to force yeah. inflation up. Yeah. Namely, Larry Summers, who was a uh, uh, Bill Clinton's, um, was he Secretary of the Treasury? I think he was. I think he was. Too. You know, he, he's been saying it since since really since COVID started. That, that, that this is bad and it's going to cause inflation and that's not good for the economy. Um, and he, he said it again today, but, uh, you know, and he has, I mean, he's certainly not a conservative, but he, he was right about this. I, I just, I wonder, uh, I see where the, uh, the Europeans are going to now apply sanctions to 90% of the Russian uh, oil that's uh, purchased uh, and, and the Russians are going to cut off, is it the Danes, from buying uh, oil? And, you know, and you wonder what all that is going to lead to. And then the Russian army seems to be making gains. Um, I see that the president is, if he didn't today, he's going to sometime this week announce, I think it's $700 million in further aid for the Ukrainians. Well, and in fact, there was a... Uh... I got an email today with a press release from the Department of Defense and that regarding that $700 million in additional security assistance. And, you know, it lists the capabilities in that package. And I won't read it all, but that includes, you know, these high mobility artillery rocket systems and ammunition to counter artillery radars, four helicopters, 15 tactical vehicles, a thousand javelin missiles. Um, you know, we talked about before about how Biden has gone from not wanting to do anything to kind of being all in on this thing. And um, that's some indication of it. Yeah. Let, let me ask you this before you tell me what's on your radar, because I, I meant to say this earlier and I didn't. Biden said this week or there was a story um, this week, I think it was on NBC, um, that he was upset with people in the. White House, West Wing on the staff who would go out and uh, sort of walk back various statements that he made that he says were quite clear uh, and didn't need any uh, any attention with regard to making them clearer or whatever, and that he was the president and he was he was not happy about that. And then we had a perfect example again. This is not the first time he said this, but he said in in. Uh, in in reference to Uvalde, that the Second Amendment was not absolute and that at the time the Second Amendment was enacted, 
you couldn't just buy a cannon, which has been shown to be false, you know, several months ago. And he sticks with it. Um, what do you think? The actual quote was that Biden said something about he would give clear and direct policy statements and then uh, others in the White House would, would walk those back or take them back, some language like that. Now, let me distinguish between him saying that things like you couldn't buy a cannon at the time of the revolution, which, you know, I, I consider just kind of political puffery and, you know, saying stupid stuff, which Biden's known for going way back into his Senate days. I don't think that anybody even really cares about that because they know the guy says crazy things like that he was admitted to the Naval Academy, which has been demonstrably shown to be untrue or that he was a truck driver at one point. Never happened. Uh, But I think it's different between when he says stupid stuff versus when he comes out and makes a policy statement, which he's done, for example, with Taiwan twice, which he's done with European allies, with NATO, with the Ukrainian situation. When he has, makes a policy statement, which is contrary to what, well, I started to say it's what he's been told to say, but I, I believe that's probably the truth. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I'm sure that the establishment within the White House makes decisions about this is going to be our policy. He comes out and says something to the opposite. And then, you know, whether it's the Department of State or the White House briefing room, they come back and say, no, he's not changing policy. So, you know, I, that's the way I distinguish those two things. Uh, the first one I don't think is the problem. The second one is a very significant problem for America. I agree. I think that's a, that's a good point. So what's on your radar? You know, I don't know if you saw this, but the Jerusalem Post today reported that Iran is only three months away from having four crude nuclear weapons. Did not see that. Pretty major story. Of course, you know, it's it's uncorroborated at this point, but... We've talked about before that Iran is not, or rather Israel, is not going to allow Iran to develop weapons. And this is coming from a major no. media outlet in Israel. So, And and the Jerusalem Post is a pretty good, uh, pretty solid uh, English language newspaper. But they normally, I mean, they're not um, sort of out there outside the bell curve. And they normally get their facts right before they publish. So I would tend to give that credence. So in addition to Ukraine and Russia and China flying, you know, literally dozens of warplanes through Taiwanese airspace. Uh, now we have a potential flashpoint in the Middle East uh, coming up before the end of summer. So definitely something to watch out, out for. Yeah. Uh, last thing, have you seen the new Top Gun movie? I have not. Have you? I have not. No, I'll wait for the crowds to die down. Yeah, but both of my sons have, and, and they both reported that it was good. Uh, one, I mean, very good. They liked it a lot. One, one said it was some, it was a tad cheesy. Um, of course, the first one was probably more than a tad cheesy. Had your son seen the first one? Yes, they've seen it. Okay. From what I read, it's a feel-good movie, and it makes you know, it's flying the flag and and so forth. So, I'm like you. I'm gonna let the crowds die down, and then I'll go see it. Yeah, well, it made a ton of money the first uh, the opening weekend, didn't it? Though. All right, you got anything else for tonight? Don't think so. You? No, nothing else. What's the logo on your hat? Uh, this is a hat I bought at the Jimmy Buffett concert back in April. Oh, okay. All right, well, thanks for tuning in for another episode of the Let's Think About That podcast. You can email us at comments at letsthinkpodcast.com. If you've enjoyed this, please click subscribe, leave us a review, and tell your friends. Mm-hmm.